All right, so Matt, what you got there, man? Man, I've got ants. Oh yeah, well I have taller ants. Ta- okay, well I've got this tube of glue. Okay, well I've got this whole tin of glue. Okay, I've got a loaf of bread. All right, fine, you win. I can't beat that with my glue tin and taller ants. <laughs> what what a lead in <laughs> totally worth it totally worth it and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales (laughs) all right everybody here we are again matt how you doing tonight brother man i'm doing pretty good 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 Good. to be back Oh yeah, it, uh, it it seems like the weeks feel longer here lately between when we record and when we do it the next time. I don't know why. Maybe it's just so busy here lately, but it seems to be a long time. So it's good to be back in the graveyard and talking at y'all since it's not really to y'all. We're kind of talking at y'all, but you know, <laughs> one or the other. We're not laughing at you. We're laughing near you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network. We're proud members of the Podbelly Network. Matt is wearing their shirt as we speak. So if you're uh, watching the video here, you can see his shirt. Um, you can find a whole bunch of different shows that you might not normally find there. Um, just go on their website, podbelly.com, and go you know, peruse the shows there and find you something maybe that uh, you like that you haven't seen before. Um, we also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Magic Spoon, HelloFresh, and Feels. And we'll talk a little bit more about them shortly. Um, while you're on the internet, if you wouldn't mind, go give us a rate and review. Um, we always say this at the end of the show, but want to say it up front here too. That really helps us out. Uh, the five stars and saying something really brings us up the charts in you know apple the the podcast charts and helps helps us get more visible to people they they find mm-hmm. us a lot easier that way yeah the it's the way the algorithm works and it doesn't matter what you say just say something type some nonsense letters tell us a joke uh whatever you want but the the comment really makes a difference mm-hmm and like I said, it does, it makes Adam and I feel good. But the most important thing is, is that it brings us up in the listings so that more people can find the show easier. And that just brings more folks into the graveyard. So, right. And um, we also want to say, go to patreon.com slash graveyard tales. If you're not already a patron, you can get at least one bonus show every week. And for our $10 uh, a month patrons we put out the video versions of all of our shows for that month they get it four or five days later um usually let's see one three four days later from when the episode goes up you get the video version of us recording the episode without the ads 
and with some of our mess ups. So you can see us fumble through through some things and, uh, you know, get mad at ourselves for not being able to say simple words. Um, and I leave that in to the video version. So if that interests you, go check that out. Um, but we also do video versions of Patreon bonus episodes and also audio versions of those too. So you can go over there, become a patron, and get some bonus stuff if you have not already. All right, Adam, let's take a minute and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Magic Spoon. Now, we've talked about this before. When I was a kid, my breakfast of choice, 99% of the time, was cereal. Absolutely. And it didn't really matter. I I liked them all. I mean, if, if I had run out of the cereal that I had, I would eat some of my dad's weird brand cereal. So, yeah, right. You know, it didn't matter. I like cereal. But as an adult, I am more health conscious. And I know that eating a big bowl of sweet, sugary cereal is probably not the best thing for my health. So this is where Magic Spoon comes in. Now, if you're trying to cut down on carbs, sugar, unhealthy food, uh, any of that stuff, Magic Spoon is going to be a fantastic addition to your breakfast routine. That's right. And Ashley and I have been going back to the gym. And in in doing that, you have to kind of watch what you eat. You can't just eat all the, the sugar and the carbs and stuff if you want to actually see any results. And so I've been drinking protein shakes. Well, with Magic Spoon, there's finally a delicious way to eat that protein. And I don't have to rely on just the powdered protein shakes and it fits into the rest of our diet because it has zero grams of sugar 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving and there's only 140 calories per serving so it's great it will fit into any of your um, diets if it's keto friendly it's gluten free it's grain free soy free low carb and gmo free And you can build your own box or get a variety pack that has the available flavors cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. And mix the peanut butter and the cocoa together and you'll get a peanut butter cup tasting cereal, which I think is great because I I love it. The fruity, though, the fruity is probably my favorite of their flavors. Yeah, the cinnamon is mine. My... Even even now, my cereal of choice is a cinnamon cereal. Right. So I, I really dig the cinnamon flavor. So Graveyard Tells listeners can go to magicspoon.com slash grave and grab their delicious cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GRAVE, that's G-R-A-V-E at checkout, to save $5 off of your order. That's right. It's your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash grave and use our promo code grave, that's G-R-A-V-E, to save $5. Matt, that's all the housekeeping I got. So, why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight... We're going to look into yet another 
haunted sanitarium, sanatorium, however you want to say that. What it's like tomato, tomato. Yeah, see it, see it both ways. Sanitation station. Uh, but but this one is interesting because it didn't start as a sanitarium. Mm-hmm. But the history is pretty unique in how it progressed and. It's a historical building. It still exists, and it's pretty active from a paranormal standpoint. We're going to talk about the St. Albans Sanatorium in Radford, Virginia. Right. And um, when I'll tell you this. When we started researching this place, there's a lot of information about the history, but we just weren't finding... Uh, there was a lot of uh, this place is really haunted and that was it Mm -hmm. but we kept digging and as I told Adam we we found the meat (laughs) it's like Arby's okay we got the meat (laughs) (laughs) so there's some pretty scary stuff that happens uh, at St. Albans Sanatorium but as I mentioned the, the history is Really interesting because of the ones we've done before, Adam, I I think they were all built for that purpose, for housing mentally ill individuals and caring for them. That wasn't how this began. Right. Yeah, those were all uh, intended for that purpose. Right. So, Adam, why don't you uh, get into the history and tell us more about St. Albans in uh, Radford, Virginia? All right. Um, So as always, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find all the sources that we used um, to find this information, the articles that we've used and all that stuff. And you can further your research into it if you're interested in that. Um, But as Matt said, paranormal investigators claim that this abandoned sanatorium is probably the most haunted spot in the eastern U.S., Now, granted, we hear that about a lot of things, the most haunted this, the most haunted that, but that's the claim for um, St. Albans. And as Matt also said, this sanatorium is in Radford, Virginia, in Pulaski County, and it's sitting high atop a hill that overlooks the New River. So it's beautiful scenic view there from where it's at. Now, a quick blurb from Atlas Obscura. And it says this once stately building was originally a Lutheran boys school. It was a terrible place to go to class as bullying was encouraged within the increasingly competitive student body. As a result of the hostile learning environment, a number of its students died by suicide. So let's that that's a pretty intriguing. Intro, I guess, to the thing. So so let's get into the actual history a little bit more. And I found an article by um, it's from past chronicles and it's by a guy named Riley Brown and it was actually published February 15th, 2021. So not that long ago. Um, And as I was telling Matt, before we started, I found two different uh, sets of history on this, not as far as what, the history said about the place, but how much it said. So you either had just that little blurb that I gave you, and that was all it said about the place, 
or it went into 72,000 pages of in-depth history. And either one of those wouldn't work for our show, Matt. <laughs> no, not so, not our show. No. So we're a little bit longer than a quick blurb. And we're also not a 12-part episode on just the history of this place. So I was trying to call it down and I ended up finding this article and I thought, you know what? This article does a very concise job of giving us the information without overblowing it some. So uh, appreciate Riley Brown doing the due diligence on this. So let's get into his article. He says, St. Albans Sanatorium was not designed initially as an establishment for the mentally ill. When it first opened in 1892, St. Albans was used as a Lutheran boys' school. The school was built in a colonial style designed to accommodate 50 boys until they graduated. But during that time, the school gained a reputation for being over-demanding uh, to its students. The school also had a very competitive environment that encouraged bullying. Although there was no official reports of students being harmed during its operation as a school, there have been rumors that several students committed suicide because of the bullying and competitive pressure. So that that's pretty bad. If your school is known for bullying and being so competitive between the boys that it encourages the bullying and then the suicides of students. That's yeah. that's pretty bad. Yeah, and and it was interesting that the guy that ran the school, he had this vision of what the the modern gentleman was going to look like in the next 20 years. Right. You know, what what would the what would the gentleman about town what what would he be like? What what would his what would his skill set be? What would his knowledge set be? And he took that vision and applied it to the students at the school. Now the that all sounds great, you know. I mean, you know, forward thinking, but in turn, it it caused problems. Because as Adam said, competition was the the rule there. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you if you're having a problem with you know another student, the idea was you have to you have to outdo him, whether athletically, academically, or sometimes even physically, to get out from under whatever oppression you were feeling or whatever inadequacies you had, you know, the way out was to physically or mentally just be better than the other person. Right. And that's okay to a degree, but when you, when you put this much on teenage boys, in a right. closed environment. Right. You're going to you're going to be looking at a Lord of the Flies type <laughs> yeah. uh, situation before too long. 
um, athletics were were really uh, a heavy focus at the school, and he also learned that by promoting athletics that he could recruit students into the school to play for their athletic teams. So, again, you know, it was – there was a mindset there that it, it – the, the focus was – you you not only want to do better for yourself, you want to do better to be better than your classmates. Right. In whatever it was. And like you said, there there's a there is a fine line with that kind of thought process because in life, you know, you do want to teach your kid that um you know, it, it if you want to if you want to be better and smarter than you were, then you need to work harder. But you don't need to tell, have your kid try to judge themselves according to somebody else. Right. You know, you, you don't want to say, hey, they're better than you. You need to be, uh, be better, work harder. Yeah. You need to say, look, if, if you want to be better, then you work harder for yourself, not for this competition of grades or, or physicalness, physicalness. That's not a word, but you know what I mean? It's close enough. Uh, yeah. Physicality. <laughs> um, but that, that's where I think the animosity between the students came is because like you said, he was, he was pushing them against each other, not, Hey, if you want to do better, then here's what you need to do. It's like, you need to be better than this guy. Um, and that caused problems. Now, the school itself closed uh, its operations in 1911. And the establishment itself, the whole building was abandoned for several years. Well, in 1915, Dr. J.C. King bought the abandoned school and converted it to the St. Albans Sanatorium. Dr. King's vision for St. Albans was to be a better alternative to other asylums located uh, throughout the U.S. The sanatorium boasts of a rooftop garden, a small farm, and a bowling alley. Now, these amenities were installed to make the stay of patients more comfortable and idyllic. And I'll put some photos up in Patreon of these things because it is interesting. They've got uh, uh, an abandoned bowling alley that's been graffitied over and stuff in, in the time that it's been down, but very creepy looking. It's really weird to see an abandoned like two lane bowling alley and stuff like that. But I'll, I'll get those pictures posted in Patreon um, sometime on the day that this episode drops. Um, now this article goes on to say, however, the lives of patients inside the sanatorium were far from idyllic. Doctors experimented on patients with different treatments, which caused a lot of deaths and patients becoming permanently disabled. Treatments such as hydrotherapy sessions involved patients being wrapped like a mummy and uh, with drenched towels, and other treatments involved shock therapies. And we've talked about sanatoriums and the medical and uh, therapeutic practices of the time. And they were not nice. They were water torture, basically, and, and shock therapy and 
isolation and lobotomies. And all of those things were being performed here at the sanatorium, even though he said he wanted to make the place better than the other sanatoriums throughout the U.S., he adopted the same practices. So we ended up with the same result. You had people that were permanently disabled after that. Like they went in, they weren't that bad. Then they had some shock therapy or lobotomy done, and it completely ruined their lives Mm -hmm. and hurt them more than whatever mental disability they had going in, which was probably nothing. You know, they arguing with their family members and they put them in a mental institution. But they, you can't do the same practices that other sanatoriums are doing and expect to be better than they are. It just doesn't right. work that way. Right. But that leads to the negative energies and, and everything that we have at this building. So just keep all of this in mind as, as we go through it. And as Matt then gets his part of the hauntings, all of this is leading up to what has stayed at this place. And, and we talk about it all the time, the, the stone tape theory, you're, you're feeding this energy into a a place. It's going to hold on to it. And I know I've said this before, but I like to think of it as like a sludge. Mm-hmm. If you every time something bad like this happens, you throw a bucket of sludge on the wall. Now, we can't visually see it, but it's going to stay there. You can't just wipe that away real quickly. You you turn it into something else without ridding the property of this negative energy. That sludge is still there no matter what you turn the building into and it's going to carry over. Now, the sanatorium, it says, did not expect the influx of patients that it had. Well, by 1945, St. Albans was overcrowded with patients. This overcrowding and poor staff-to-patient ratio led to inhumane living conditions, and the most vulnerable patients further deteriorated. Likewise, the poor living conditions also encouraged several patients to commit suicide within the sanatorium walls. So once again... Is this not always the case? Yeah, exactly. Everyone we've ever talked about, this is how it goes. They're set up for this number of patients. They start out really good. You know, they they get a number of patients and then all of a sudden, bam, they are overcrowded, understaffed. And there's feces in the halls and people sleeping in it. And yeah, Yeah, it's hitting the fan literally. Right. Right. Yeah, and and that's the whole time I was doing this research, I thought that same thing. I said, you know, I I, I swore that we had done this episode before. I know we hadn't, but by by looking at what happened at this place, it's like revisiting one of the other episodes we did. Oh yeah, and I, I told Ashley, I said, look, it, it's almost like you could copy and paste every time we do a asylum or sanatorium you could copy and paste the same part of they were doing fine they had this many patients then all of a sudden they got dumped on took in a lot more patients and now the conditions uh just worsened and and it's a hellhole Mm -hmm. 
Now, this goes on to say that an additional building of the same colonial style was built in 1980, and the hospital continued operating, but at a steady decline. The sanatorium was officially shut down in the late 1990s. Just think about that for a minute. Sanatorium, it operated as a building for over 100 years, Mm -hmm. but... 80, 75, 80 years as a sanatorium into the 90s. Yeah. The 90s weren't that long ago. I know some of y'all listening may not have been born in the 90s, which makes Matt and I feel really old. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the thing now. You get carded and you show them your ID and they're like, oh, you're good. Yeah. I I could see the one. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. your birth date. I'm like, oh my God. Exactly. I know. <laughs> Dude, I've just started showing them my old Blockbuster card, and they're like, oh yeah, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, I've had somebody say, I saw the one, and I was like, oh my God. Yeah, we are there, aren't we? Yeah. It's 21 years into the, oh my God. So, This goes on to say that in 2001, the Carilion Health System donated the St. Albans infrastructure to Radford University, which planned to put up a campus in its location. However, in 2008, Radford University sold most of the property at an auction. Now, today's St. Albans Sanatorium is a grim reminder of failed psychiatric treatments. The abandoned sanatorium is now owned by Tim Gregory, who is a former patient. Gregory has plans to renovate some parts of the buildings into a research and enlightenment center. However, to fund his project, he has turned most of the building into a paranormal tourism center where people can take tours. That's interesting to me that he was a former patient and decided to buy the building and redo it. Yeah, and they do um, they do haunted houses, too, pretty routinely. like they even do a, a Valentine themed haunted house in February, you know, like my bloody Valentine kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that I mean, it's all it's all in effort to maintain and upgrade the building, which you know, it, financially it it it's been a very difficult task. Mm-hmm. Now, before I hand it over to Matt. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to look at what school was like in the 1800s because we've looked at uh, the conditions of sanatoriums and asylums, but never schools. So some of this will be a little different from a just strictly a boys school like St. Albans was, but I think it'll give us a good general idea of the norms for schooling at the time because if you didn't go to school in the 1800s, you probably will think some of this is quite odd for a school. But I got this from Ancestry.com, and it says that no central heating. Um, schoolhouses relied on fireplaces and later wood stoves to stay warm. And children actually brought logs with them to class, and they would take turns starting the fire each morning. So if you can imagine having to bring your own own heating device to school. <laughs> now it's a hoodie. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I've heard from people that in uh, 
New York and stuff like that in some of the outbuildings they they don't have heat and you're freezing in those buildings so maybe they could take a page from the 1800s and put wood stoves in there yep now this says it's hard to imagine but in the 1800s a single teacher taught grades one through eight in the same room how the so, hell do you do that well it uh it'll um We'll, we'll get in that here in just a second, actually, because I wondered the same thing. Um, this says rural areas are just too sparsely populated to support multiple classrooms. So towns built one-room schools about uh, 20 by 30 feet large. Now, young kids named Abacadarians, um, so I guess their nickname for them or whatever, they sat in the front and older students sat in the back. Now, they, they learned... Were, they all grew up to be magicians. Yeah, exactly. Abacadabradarians. <laughs> um, they they learned reading, writing, math, geography, and history, and teachers would actually call a group of students to the front of the classroom for their lessons while the other grades worked at their seats. Sometimes older kids helped teach the younger pupils. So she would do it in blocks, um, like pull uh, the younger students you know, grades one and two up to the front, give them their lesson, go back, get the next set and go back. And so it was, it wasn't done like now where you have everybody there and you just do a whole day of lessons for this one grade. It was split up so much and and they did a lot of their work on their own. Now, according to statistics from the U S department of education, the school year in 1869 to 1870 was only about 132 days long today it's like 180 um, but most students only went about 78 days a year so school was a lot shorter then than it is now the attendance rate also was only 59 percent partly because kids were more likely to be sick since medicines were less advanced than we have now but parents also kept them at home to work on the farms especially during harvest so you know during harvest time if your family had a farm you weren't going to school you were staying home and working on the farm now paper was expensive in the 1800s so students wrote on thin slabs of slate they took notes with slate pencils made of clay paper was only used for penmanship lessons when kids dipped their quills in ink bottles and practiced their cursive. And I remember practicing cursive in school, which I don't use at all now. No, so, I can't even do it. Yeah, I can do it a little bit, but I, I print. And mm-hmm. I remember being told as a kid, when you grow up, you're going to have to write cursive. They don't accept papers in college unless you write in cursive. By the time I got to college, we had computers. Right. It was amazing. Between the time I started school and the time I finished school, we had computers and all that other, and, and we were doing our uh, class papers, you know, on, on printed out, basically. Yeah. Um, so I, I once the advent of computers, I, I didn't have to know cursive at all. So, and, you know, we had, you know, it wasn't a, they wouldn't accept uh you know print a paper right. you know it was we won't accept one that's not typed yeah and now that i'm i'm showing my age a little bit i'm 
I'm a little bit older than Adam. Um, I had a typewriter. Yeah. When I was in college. (laughs) Now, it quickly shifted to a computer by the time I finished college. And actually, by the time I finished, I had my own computer, which was a luxury at that time. Yeah. Um, You know, we're talking about. Now, let's not talk about what you're at. (laughs) 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 That'll just prompt more more jokes from Amanda. Like, you know, what 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 was radio like when you were a kid, Grandpa? You know, I get all that all the time. Yep. Uh, did, did you have to write on slate? Yeah. <laughs> That'll be the next yeah, one. That's, that's what I said. You know, when when Matt was a kid, television was on the radio. No. Yeah. yeah. We did only have three channels, but. <laughs> yeah. Hell, when I, when I was younger, um, in the 80s and early 90s, I remember you didn't have many stations either. You know, you had a few and then if you missed it you missed it you didn't get to see it again you got up for saturday morning cartoons and yeah you know i don't feel that old but i i think i am i think i'm getting there matt all right so let's take a second and talk about one of tonight's sponsors hello fresh and you've heard us talk about hello fresh before but we need to talk about them again. With HelloFresh, you can get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh cuts out the stressful meal planning and grocery store trips, which I absolutely loathe, so that you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. And try HelloFresh's quick and easy meals. That's only 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go, and more easy options perfect for your busy lifestyle since everybody's getting back into the work routine and everybody's getting busy again. That's right, and HelloFresh's high-quality, fresh ingredients are sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week and contact-free. Now, you can get a better value with HelloFresh. It's 28% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store and 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal without sacrificing any of the quality. That's great. Now, I know our family loves HelloFresh, and yours does too, Adam. And and part of what is so great about it is the ability for the entire family to come together to prepare a great meal. Right. I mean, my kids love it. When they see that HelloFresh box on the porch, they know, hey, not only are we going to get a great dinner tonight, but we're going to get to help and it's going to become more of a family event. And That's right. We, we love it. I mean, we love it. It comes with easy to follow recipe cards. And I mean, if, if kids can cook a, a gourmet meal, then what, I mean, what could possibly be wrong with that? Right. I'm with you. Our listeners can go to hellofresh.com slash graveyard 14 and use our promo code 
graveyard14, that's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-4, for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. That's right. All you got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard14 and use our promo code Graveyard14, G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-4 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. Now, this goes on to say that textbooks were equally as scarce as paper. Students had to bring books from home, often borrowing used textbooks from older kids, and members of a class never had matching copies. So that that's interesting. You're teaching out of textbooks, and none of them are the same because I got them from so many different years and all that. Um, this says with lots of kids uh, that are crammed into a single room, it was important to maintain discipline and punishments could be harsh. Misbehaving students were often publicly shamed and the teacher sat the naughty child in the front of the class and had him wear a paper cone shaped hat branded with the letter D for dunce, meaning idiot. Um, the practice was common in both the United States and Europe, and Charles Dickens even mentioned it in a description of an English schoolroom in his novel, The Old Curiosity Shop, published in 1841. He said, quote, displayed on hooks upon the wall in all their terrors were the cane and ruler, and near them on a small shelf of its own, the dunce cap, made of old newspaper and decorated with glaring wafers of the largest size. Now, this is other punishments included making a child hold heavy books, stand against the wall for extended periods of time, or receive lashes with a whip. So, if you can think of that going on in a school, that would not fly nowadays. Yeah, I was going to say, try that now. Yeah, that that would not be happening. Um, But this St. Albans, when it started out as a Lutheran Lutheran boys school, this stuff was happening. You know, you you not only had the the bad energy of the suicides and the bullying and stuff like that, you had teachers doling out punishments like this. Uh, literal whips. It wasn't the you got a paddling from the principal like we got when I was in school. You know, that was just a paddle. Whap, whap, yeah. you're done. Go on. This was legitimate whipping. Um, and then Corporal punishment of standing against the wall, um, you know, the sitting position up against the wall, which will kill you and and holding heavy books and stuff like that. And so it, it started out this building started out with bad energy in it just from mm-hmm. that. And then it moved to the sanatorium and we got a lot more negative energy, a lot more of that psychic sludge thrown on the walls and that i mean that just leads into all of the stuff that's happening nowadays that matt found yeah so with all of that negative energy you can see why saint albans would potentially be haunted um you know it just it just wants to hold on to anything and and you know, if if you if you buy into the concept that 
a spirit has to pull energy from something in order to manifest, then all of this energy left over in this old building really feeds that fire. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are certain areas of St. Albans that are considered to be the most active. Now, in 2013, uh, a paranormal investigative group named Black Raven Paranormal um, stopped into St. Albans to just kind of check it out. They were looking for some new, uh, new cases. Now, during their investigation, they noted that they're in the small bathroom, which was located in the women's ward. Now, this is after it became a sanatorium. Um, all, that little bathroom is also known as suicide room. One of their team members was touched by something. And they determined that it possibly could have been the spirit of one of the four people that it was rumored to have killed themselves uh, in that bathroom. Four. Four suicides in one room in this place. That, I mean, you want to talk about bad energy in the same room? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, during a visit in 2011, a group called 3.33 a.m. Paranormal recorded an EVP of a ghost whispering what sounds like the name Deborah in the uh, electroshock therapy room. But it doesn't stop there. Full body apparitions have been photographed in the old alcoholics ward. Yeah. Uh, alcoholism was treated in a sanatorium, you know, yeah. in this time. That's how you know it was um, some of these treatments were uh, way worse than they needed to be. Yeah, we're going to we're, we're going to shock the alcohol uh, alcoholism out of you. Right. right. Uh, OK, now, see, the thing is, that sounds ridiculous now. But then it was an accepted form of treatment. Yeah, it was torture, essentially. I mean, they're there. You're not giving them anything to drink. You know, they're okay. <laughs> you don't got to shock the crap out of them, too. I know. I know. It, it, they're going to be they're going to be feeling physical pain without the alcohol. Yeah. Why add more to it? Now, experienced paranormal investigators and tourists alike have reported hearing disembodied conversations, screams and footsteps. Now. There is there is one difference. We, we we always will get a report of a disembodied voice in a place like this. But what's some somewhat unique about St. Albans is this regular report of disembodied conversations where they're actually hearing multiple voices at the same time. Oh wow. Or uh, a speak and answer type interaction. Where, you know, there's actually the, the sound of two or more people communicating back and forth. That's something you don't hear very often. No, it's not. You usually hear one side of it. Right. Like the side talking to you or something. You don't 
it, it's not like you're eavesdropping into somebody's conversation. Right. But at St. Albans, there are reports that that's exactly what you hear. Wow. Now, others have reported seeing objects move on their own or Reports have been that they have been pushed by invisible forces. Now, the hospital has a a maze-like configuration, so it makes it very easy for visitors to get lost, which makes just random exploring of the hospital not only scary, but somewhat dangerous. Yeah. Now, also, one of the more active rooms at St. Albans was where the hydrotherapies were conducted. And Adam mentioned the hydrotherapy earlier. Now, a hydrotherapy session wasn't always just a relaxing soak in a bathtub. Unfortunately. Yeah. Patients were often mummified in icy cold towels or they were strapped into steaming water vats where they lay immobile and confined for days. Yeah. God. Yeah. I I mm, I can't imagine being confined somewhere for days, let alone yeah, with the other uh additions that they're they're giving you there, you know, in, yeah, in a stra- strapped inside a steaming water vat. Right, right. You're almost boiling somebody alive at that point. Yeah. And others were were blasted with water from a fire hose. Um, You know, you ever been hit with water from a fire hose? Not from a fire hose, but you know, I've had the those high pressure nozzles you put on your regular garden hose and uh-huh. that hurts itself. Yeah. I can only imagine a uh, fire hose hurts. Well, imagine multiplying that by a hundred and then making it that much larger. It'll knock you down. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this, this was what the treatments involved when they talked about hydrotherapy. Yeah. Doesn't sound like treatments more than punishments. Yeah. Now there are other rooms in the sanatorium that are really, really active. And the bowling alley is one of those, which Adam mentioned earlier. Now, the bowling alley is is thought to be haunted by two different female spirits. One they call Allie, and the other is the spirit of Gina Renee Hall. Now, Allie is rumored to be the young daughter of one of the hospital's patients because a sanatorium was not a place where you would run across young children. Right. So right. it it had to have been, you know, a, a a child of a patient or maybe even a staff member. But either way, um, you know, they've they've heard Allie, you know, laughing and and playing in, in the bowling alley now. And you think about the uh, it was a boys school, so it mm-hmm. wouldn't there there would not have been it any wouldn't have been girls. A student. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because at that time, if it was a boys' school, absolutely no um, no girls would be allowed on campus. Right. Now, Gina Renee Hall was a woman who was murdered on June 28, 1980, somewhere near St. Albans Sanatorium 
along Hazel Hollow Road. Now, there have been reports of a strange mist appearing in the bowling alley when Gina's name is mentioned. But it's interesting that Gina was not murdered at the sanatorium, just near it. So let's look into this case a little bit to kind of figure out why. Now, the Gina Renee Hall case is interesting because, like I said, her murder didn't actually happen at St. Albans. On the night of her murder, Gina was planning to go dancing at a club in Blacksburg. She met a man named Stephen Epperly, who convinced her to come to a nearby lake house that was being cared for by one of his friends. Law enforcement believed that Epperly made advances toward Gina Renee Hall and she rebuffed him, causing him to become enraged and kill her. Mm. Now, Gina's car was found on the road down from St. Albans with the trunk open. So it was believed that after she was killed, she was placed in the trunk of her own car, driven to another location, and the body was disposed of and the car essentially abandoned. Now, Gina's body was never found, but Epperly was convicted of her murder and sentenced to life in prison. Interestingly enough, this was the first case in Virginia where a a person was convicted of murder without a body. Oh, wow. Now, police speculated that the body may be buried on the grounds of the sanatorium, giving Gina a connection to the building. So that could explain why her spirit would be present there. But just last year, Gina's sister, Diana, with the help of Dr. Arpad Voss, a forensic anthropologist, uh, have found DNA of Gina's, uh, of Gina's DNA buried uh, in eight different locations around the New River Valley. Now, the cool thing about this is Dr. Voss invented an instrument that to detect DNA buried beneath the surface. That's so, cool for that so time. So he, he connected with uh, Gina's sister, Diana, to begin this search for her remains. So there is a really good chance that at least some of Gina's remains are on the property of St. Albans Sanatorium. Which and, that know, would, I mean, that would cause uh, a, a, a spirit to hang around if you believe that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a violent death like that. Um, and then with there, no there real were, resolve. Right. And then their remains, you know, being there undiscovered. Um, you know, it's just, you know, that just kind of leads right into this place is going to be haunted. Yep. Absolutely. Now let's talk about some of the staff experiences at St. Albans. Now, Building staff have reported hearing loud footsteps on floors above them, but when investigated, no one is there. Audible screaming and growling has also been reported. So not growling is not a good thing. No, never. <laughs> um, but not just not EVPs, audible screaming and growling. Yeah. Now, according to director of operations, Marcel Hanauer, 
there have been cases of volunteers being picked up and thrown. Jeez. Picked up and thrown. Yeah. <laughs> Not pushed to the ground. Lifted yep. off the ground and tossed not, across. Yeah, not, not tripped, not uh-huh. pushed into a wall. Yeah, man, that that takes a lot of force, a lot of energy to a be able to do of that. Energy, because just like I couldn't pick you up and throw you across a room. I don't think you could pick me up and throw me across the room. So yeah. a, a normal human is going to have trouble doing that unless you're. You know, this big buff dude that is like 400 pounds and can do a clean and jerk of 500 pounds. I don't think you're going to be able to do that. So for a spirit to be able to do that, we've talked about how how much energy it takes and to affect something in a room. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we've talked about the theory that they have to manifest and gain so much energy just to be able to move a book or flip a page in a book or flip on a light switch. Think about what it would take to throw a person across the room. If we're talking about uh, a spirit of someone. Right. Right. And other, other visitors, according to Hanauer have reported apparitions having their hair pulled or have left with scratch marks. Now, uh, Marcel reports that one of her first experiences involved a volunteer who appeared to suddenly go into a trance. When she spoke, her words were jumbled. Marcel says they began to read Bible verses to her until she came out of it. Hmm. So that, I mean, that that sounds like possession, but we're, yeah. we're going to get into this a little bit more here in just a minute. Now, a tour guide named Jessica describes an encounter with something that she can't explain while giving a tour jessica says she saw something crawling around on the floor and then later she saw it crawling on the ceiling like something just absolutely like down on all fours crawling around and she says it was about the size of a small adult now jessica also encountered another strange being that she describes as being about four feet tall, having an enormous head, but a small body. She said it had large eyes and a misshapen grin, and it stood there hunched over. And Jessica says when she saw it, she screamed and ran, which well, yeah, probably would have done that too. Yeah. Phew. It, there is some weird stuff at this i mean if you describe something as crawling across the floor that invokes a real creep factor in you and then the description of that last entity that was that was not right that's almost uncanny valley type freak out yeah and it's and it's odd because this is not like seeing the the apparition of a former patient you know Mm -hmm. walking from one room to another um you know, the, these seem like something that was never human. Right, right. Now, Chuck, the security director, reports that one night he was standing on the bottom step of one of the staircases and he felt himself levitate. He, oh, wow. He, he described it as the sensation 
of suddenly feeling weightless. And then suddenly he was thrown into a nearby doorway. Wow. The whole being picked up and thrown thing. It, it sounds cool. It sounds scary. It sounds like something that is said to garner interest in a potentially haunted location. Yeah. But when you have an employee, much less the director of security, making a statement like this, and it's interesting that Chuck was also uh, a former sheriff's deputy. So this is a this is a reputable guy. I mean, yeah. and and it's he's not a he's not a kid. I mean, he's an older gentleman, and you know you you hear him tell this, and he, I mean, you can you can hear the fear in his voice. Right, right. So during an episode of Travel Channel's The Dead Files. Medium Amy Allen was unable to complete her investigation of St. Albans because she felt a female spirit inhabit her body and refused to leave. Amy describes this phenomenon as being jumped. Okay. Now, at that point, Marcel, the director of operations, asked if it would be possible for someone to be jumped and not know it, causing things like personality changes amy says it's absolutely possible and at that point marcel becomes very emotional and and steve who is the other investigator on the dead file show infers that marcel may have been experienced something that she had not disclosed especially especially since marcel's husband don refused to come to their final meeting so He's speculating that maybe there was some some issues between Marcel and her husband that Marcel right. was beginning to think maybe she had been jumped and it's caused some changes in her, which has caused some difficulty in her relationship with her husband. That's purely speculation, but that was the inference. So, right, right. But the Impossible. idea... Go ahead. And possible because we've discussed um, demonic possession and stuff like that. And and if this, the jumped thing that she's describing, it, it sounds similar to demonic possession in a way, then it's highly possible that you, you could be affected in that sense where it would change your personality. Yeah. You know, it would affect you just enough to where you weren't entirely yourself. Right. And what what's interesting about this to me, it, we've talked about demonic possession in several different shows, and it's a it, it is a drawn out process. It is not mm-hmm. something that just happens just like that. Right. You know, you, you you begin to see the the person being broken down, making them weaker and more susceptible to possession. That's not what they're describing here. And that's not what happened to Amy. She's saying that she just literally something popped inside her, maybe not being able to control her, but definitely able to influence her, her thoughts, her personality, Mm -hmm. her mood, things like that. 
to the point where Amy actually said she feared for her own safety, and that's why she had to stop. So, I mean, this is, I mean, this is some serious business right here. I mean, this would mean that anybody that, you know, not only visited St. Albans, but certainly somebody that worked there would, would be at risk for something like this happening. Sure. All right. Let's take a break and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Fields. Now, Feels is a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD company that can help keep your head clear and help you feel your best. Now, CBD has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Now, navigating the world of CBD can be fairly complicated, but Feels helps that process become as simple as possible so that you can start feeling better sooner. Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide you through the discovery process. Now, I've been using Feels now for a few months, Mm -hmm. and I can honestly say this is the only CBD product that I have tried that I definitively know it works. Right. And and that I can actually feel a difference when I take a higher dose as opposed to a smaller dose. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a month back, I, I started having some pretty severe heel pain and it just, it wasn't going away. And I, I wasn't sure what it was. It felt like tendinitis, but I realized I had stopped taking my feels. I had run out. Yeah. And I thought, ugh, you dummy. You know, so I, I, I immediately, I, I thought of it in the shower. I immediately went and realized I still had my, uh, my sample flight. And I took the high dose and the rest of the day was absolutely pain free. And then I immediately ordered more. That's amazing. So, yeah, I can tell you, it absolutely works better than... You know anything else out there that I've tried? Yeah, and I'm with you. I I have anxiety issues when I get out in crowds and and stuff like that, and it's the only one that I can I can like you definitively say that at the right dosage it actually helps me, and and it's the only CBD that I'm willing to say to anybody. Yeah, I know this works. Not. Oh well, it might work. I, you know, I I think I felt better. This is definitive. I know I felt better. And all you got to do with feels is place a few drops under your tongue, and you can feel the difference within minutes. The thing to remember about CBD, though, is that it's about finding your right dose, and that's the important thing. And everyone's dose is different. In fact, Feels offers a free CBD hotline, like Matt mentioned, to help guide your personal experience so that you find your perfect dose. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. And Matt, I, I, I know this for a fact because I talked to them when we were first starting the sponsorship and first started taking it. And the people that I talked to there were great people and 
they will help you out. If you have any questions, you just contact them and they will help you out. So you can start feeling better with Feels. You can become a member today by going to feels.com, that's F-E-A-L-S.com slash grave, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Yeah, that's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E, to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Now, the, the last thing I want to talk about, I, did, I didn't find a whole lot of information about it, but I was able to confirm the story with two different sources, so I figured it was valid enough to speak on. Supposedly, there is a malevolent shadow entity in the sanatorium. It has been described as a large shadowy figure with glowing red eyes. Now it, it comes about from a legend where there was a boy at either at the school or admitted to the sanatorium who, whose parents had died and he began to cause a lot of trouble not because of his behavior, but because of things that would happen around him, you know, that things, objects would move, things would fall, things were thrown across the room without him ever touching them. And they were always around when he was present and apparently poltergeist like activity. He he had almost like he had something attached to him, Mm -hmm. but at, at one point this particular child had, gotten into some trouble and they were approaching him either for discipline or to, you know, to scold him. And that is when they witnessed this large shadow entity with the red eyes appear next to him, almost as if it were protecting him. Hmm. The thing about this story is, this is a story. There are no there are no real names, no real dates that I could find that corroborated this story. It's just kind of it. It may have even been developed um, after this entity had been witnessed, right? But it's definitely malevolent in nature, and it sounds like it's not the only thing that may be malevolent in St. Albans Sanatorium, but. Either way, this place is pretty active, and it is a yeah, it is it it, it is a um, bucket list destination for a lot of paranormal investigating groups. Um, you know, it's been on several TV shows, um, just in numerous numbers of uh, paranormal groups have come in and investigated, and they promote it. I mean, it's. It's open for investigators to come. It is open for tours. Um, you know, like I said, they do um, they do haunted houses there. Um, you know, there there have even been experiences during the the haunted house happening. Mm-hmm. There was there was one in particular where a staff member 
had dressed up like um like the muffin man but hmm. like a bloody dangerous muffin man okay and people reported seeing the muffin man again in the haunted house when she wasn't actually there oh wow <laughs> doppelganger the, yeah a doppelganger essentially that had just apparently formed based on this one uh one staff member's appearance the muffin man from the wrong side of the tracks <laughs> yeah but remember there there is a serial killer that was termed the muffin man too so there was a there's a connection there there's why it yeah. would have been so so scary to have so um but yeah i mean a really really active place very interesting history on how it went from a school to a sanatorium. Yeah. Um, like Adam said at the top of the show, we don't see that normally. These places were built with that in mind. So you can kind of see the facility may not have been the the best place for a, a sanatorium to move in. Uh, you know, it was right. you know, an an empty school, colonial style building. Um, probably was not you know, adequately equipped to handle mentally ill patients effectively, certainly not at the level that they were inundated with, you know, shortly after opening. Right. Um, but, you know, what do you guys think? Um, I, I guarantee you we've got some listeners that live in that area. I've got family that lives up in that area. Um, you know, I, do you have any stories about St. Albans? Is it one of those places, which I did read that it, while it was abandoned, it was one of those places that people just had a tendency to avoid that the, the scary part was the building itself, you know, just, just looming there. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you just kind of like, ah, I'm not going to go there. You know, I'm it's not going to It's got a very creepy there. look, man. The, the pictures of it now are just... It, yeah. It's creepy. It's not a place you you feel invited to. That's right. And there's there's a lot of graffiti in there where you know people have have kind of moved in and and you know done vandalized and done damage to the building itself. But it is a historical mm -hmm. building, so they are attempting to preserve it and make sure that it's it 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 stays intact. One one cool thing that I didn't mention. Um, was the bird cage? There was a a rooftop garden, yep, that is completely enclosed like a cage to keep people from jumping off, right? Um, and and just to see that, you know, people there there were there were stories where while it was in operation, people would walk or drive by and just see people on the roof just beating and pounding on that cage, like trying to get out. That's, That's terrifying of, of itself. And that was what was really going on. Yeah. I didn't have exactly. anything to do with the ghosts. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah. But let us know what you think. And, and one of the best places to do that is in our Facebook group. Uh, we are over 6,000 members strong. It is mm -hmm. one of the act, most active groups I've ever seen. It's a really safe place to come and share your personal experiences um, you know, tell some jokes, um, you share some ghost stories, 
throw in some some spooky articles that you you come across. You know, it's it's really it's really a great place. Um, and while you're there, uh, you can slide over and check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show, learn a little bit about uh, Adam and myself, and you can become a patron. And as Adam mentioned at the top of the show, we have a lot of Patreon content. We have videos. We have audio shows. It goes a little bit off of what we would talk about on a regular show. So so check it out. Um, I, I think there's there's really a lot there if, if you're looking for some extra content outside of the regular shows. We um, recently did a, um, uh, a game format, uh, guess that phobia game. And we, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we've gotten some good feedback from that. Uh, people like that, uh, like that format. So we're going to have to do it again. Yeah, so we're, if you have definitely going to do that again, if you haven't checked it out, go check it out and then uh, be on the lookout for more little gamey type things like that. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Yeah.